Hello, and welcome to Ready and Newman's Daily Podcast, your go-to place for common questions about immigration to the United States. Ready and Newman is a team of experienced business immigration attorneys who handle a host of visa categories and complex immigration cases. This podcast will provide an insight into our daily free conference calls hosted by our attorneys, as well as discussions on hot immigration topics. Please note that information provided is not to be construed as legal advice for your specific situation and does not constitute an engagement with Ready & Newman PC or establish an attorney-client relationship. For specific advice on your situation, please contact an attorney. Here's your host. Hello, everyone. My name is Rebecca Chen. I'm a partner with Ready and Newman, and I'll be conducting the conference today. Um, Gadri, can you start our first question, please? Sure, Rebecca. Bhavish. Hi. Thanks for the opportunity. Uh, I wanted to ask if you. Uh, I'm on my case, my case is EB3 downgrade, so I have uh, EAD and AP in mm-hmm. EB3, and I'm planning to change job based on EAD uh, okay. to the new, the new employer. My question is if the em- previous employer withdraws I-140 for certain reason, which is beyond 180 days now, uh, will it affect the I-485J approval or green card approval in future? Is the I-140 downgrade, is it still pending or is it approved? It is approved. It's it's been more than 180 days. But if they withdraw in future and I move to the new employer, does it affect I-485J or uh, green card approval? I mean, yeah, I-485J approval. No, as long as it was already approved, um, then and then you move to a different company after 180 days using AC21, then that's fine. It's only a risk sometimes if you have used AC21 to leave the company before the I-140 is approved because then you might have to prove to USCIS later that it was approvable, but at this point, it, it's fine. If you use AC21, move to a different company, even if your prior employer withdraws I-140, um, it won't affect your green card process. Awesome, and can I ask one small follow-up question, last question? Mm-hmm. My priority date is in a- April, 2014, and okay. with the recent shuffling of dates across EB2 and EB3, right, like kind of pretty crazy, um, I, I mean, do, I'm, I'm sort of ruling out interfile option for the moment because I'm anyways not eligible, but yeah. uh, what would you do kind of a question? Is it okay to change on EAD knowing that uh, in EB3 these dates are backlogged and uh, things in future we don't know? Since it is quite uncertain right now and for a 2014 priority date, um, yeah, I would not try interfiling right now. It's too early because we don't know if October this year maybe it will switch. EB3 might start advancing farther than EB2 because everyone has moved to EB2. Um, so I would say, um, yeah, that should be fine. I probably would not interfile right now. It's too early and it should be fine for you to change jobs. It's it's too early to, to say which lane to lock yourself into. Because... Change jobs using EAD is fine in short. Yeah. 
thank you so much for your help have a good sure. weekend thank you. next question rose Hi, Rebecca. Uh, I have a question related to B2 visa. So my parents were here in 2020 and uh, uh, because of all the uh, peak pandemic and flight cancellation, I had to extend their visa for three months before their six first six months uh, duration could expire. And uh, the since the uh, pandemic continued and flight cancellation continued, um, I extended their visa for another two months. And uh, we did not get a decision on both the uh, applications that were filed. Um, mm -hmm. And before we could get a decision, uh, they left the country. Mm -hmm. And uh, they left before the uh, second extension could expire. Uh, when they return back now, would they? do you foresee any issues? So, yeah, we have reported on this recently that in that exact same situation where people filed for the B2 extension in 2020, but left before it got approved. Mm -hmm. um, in some cases, when they try to use that same B2 visa to come back to the US, some of them have been turned away by CBP claiming that their, the B visa was canceled because they overstaged their prior I-94 and the I-539 never got approved. It's not the majority of cases and in general, um, I would say kind of that situation should be fine because the whole reason for the B2 extension was the um, inability to travel and the only reason it couldn't get approved before they left was USCIS's long processing times. It doesn't make sense to require people to stay in the US for a year waiting for that I-539 approval when they don't need to, when the reason keeping them here is no longer here. And so for that reason, and if they, if people had their I-539 receipt notice showing that they filed for the extension on time while they were here, um, for the most part, CDP has been fine with um, letting people in. Because we have heard a few instances of that though, people being denied entry on that same B-2 visa, um, there unfortunately isn't really a good way to know whether the visa has been canceled besides potentially contacting the consulate where it was issued to ask them, has it been canceled? We're a bit cautious though about recommending people to do that because if your visa was not canceled, will contacting the consulate give them that idea to cancel it? Um, it may be you know, more damaging. Um, so for the most part, we've been advising people in that situation that if you're aware of sort of that small chance of um, being denied entry and want to just try traveling on the same B1, B2 visa, you can try that and most likely it will be fine. If you want to be absolutely sure, another option would be to, even if the current B1, B2 visa is not yet expired, just apply for a new one from the consulate. And because right now, this year, the consulates have the Dropbox option mm -hmm. that is more you know, um, expansive, um, you can try applying for the B2 uh, visa renewal, even if your current one is not expired, just get a fresh one okay. while it's easier to do so right now. So those would kind of be the two options. Okay, thank you so much. Next question. Ravi. Hi, thank you. Um, right now I'm on a GCEAD, which is expiring in April 21st of this year. Okay. 
I'm planning to go India and return on my AP. Um, I, because I don't get a dates for H1. I also have a H1 approval until August 23rd, 23 next year. Okay. okay. So uh, if I go to India now and return on my AP, AP card, um, and by the time I come back, um, I'll, I'll be okay to come back because I, I have my AP until April 21st, right? So my question is basically if I go again India, I already applied for an extension, which I'm not expecting to come soon anytime sooner. So if I go India, if I want to go India again, like in a June or July timeframe, can I go India on, can I go India and come back on my H-1B visa? I can go to a visa at that time and I can I come back on H-1B? Will That's that be okay? Yeah, so if you are going on a trip in the near future, coming back on the advanced parole while that advanced parole is still valid, that's, that's fine. And then if you're going on a second trip later in the year, like after your advanced parole has expired, but if you're able to get an H-1B visa appointment at that point, either through the Dropbox or in person, you can renew your H-1B visa on that second trip and come back in H-1B status. Okay. Since that notice is still valid. Okay, thank you. So one follow-up on that one. So since I already applied for my AP card now, will that have any effect on my coming back on H1 or will that still be processed and I will get my AP card when it is due? So if at the time you're leaving the country, if the I-131 is still pending, there is mm -hmm. a small chance that the I-131 will be denied. Um, mm -hmm. That is kind of a holdover policy from the Trump administration um, where they just started denying I-131 applications if you left the country while it was pending. Okay. So it doesn't always happen anymore under the current administration, but there hasn't been any formal announcement by the current administration that we're no longer doing the automatic denials. Okay. So you kind of heard both. Sometimes it gets automatically denied, sometimes it doesn't. It's more likely to remain pending if you come back while your current AP is still valid. Okay. Um, so my so that is 131, but I-765 will not have any effect on that one. Yeah. Okay. So my EAD card, which I can work for multiple employers, can still be valid, but my AP can be denied or uh, canceled, something. Yeah, so I would probably... Um, reapply for the I-131 when you come back. Just when I come back, but that makes sense. Okay, thank you very much. That's sure. all. Next question. Arvindan. Hi. Hello. Yeah, hello. So yeah, uh, the question I had was, uh, my husband is on H-4 and then uh, he got his uh, H-1B change of status approved on uh, December, 2022. Okay end of the year. And uh, uh, unfortunately, his company's project got scrapped off and he doesn't have any pay stubs or uh, he's not on the payroll yet. And uh, his company has also given him only the copy of I-797 and I-94. So the question I had was, uh, can he apply for a H-1B transfer to a new company without any pay stubs because uh, uh, he's not... Uh, no, not on payroll yet in the existing company. Right. Um, can you confirm when did the H-1B change of status take effect? Could you say December 2021? Uh, no, December 21st, 2022. Like later this year? year? Yeah, end of last year. 
end of last year, December 2021. No, tw yeah, 2021. I'm sorry. That's okay. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, if he doesn't have pay stubs from that company, so technically his status has changed and he's supposed mm -hmm. to be working for that company. But if he does not have pay stubs, then within 60 days from the change of status taking effect, I would say he is he can try using the grace period to have okay. a company file an H-1B transfer for him without pay stubs. Okay. Um, so you'll have to calculate 60 days from the exact date on the I-797 approval notice that the H-1B became effective. It sounds like it's coming up at the end of this month. Yeah. yeah. Um, if he does have, you know, some offers, an offer, and if they can prepare the paperwork quickly enough, they can file that within the 60-day grace period and it should be fine. So it doesn't have to be like approved by the 60th day or the receipt number would suffice for him? No. To yeah, as long as it's filed by the 60th day, that's fine. It doesn't need to be approved by then. Okay, just a follow-up question. If nothing works in this 60 days uh, span, can he uh, move on to H4 and then apply for a CAT exempt H1B? Is that possible? Um, that is possible, but um, the, yeah. So if he is not able to find a job um, or it's not able to find um, someone to file the H1B transfer within 60 days, then yes, I would file an I-539 change of status application from H1B to H4 before the 60th day. So file something, either an H1B transfer or an H4 application before the end of the 60 days. And then later, if there's another job offer that comes in, you could he could file to change back to H1B, although it may be a bit more difficult to change back to H1B at that point because the H4 change of status is still going to be in process, but it can be done. Yeah. Okay, all right. Thank you. Omar? Hey, um, um, hi, Rebecca. Hello. Uh, uh, my question is regarding my I-140 typographical error. So basically what happened is uh, I have my approved I-140, which is approved in uh, February, 2018. Okay. So my employer uh, applied in EB2 category uh, and, uh, but uh, you know, the, on the approval copy, it printed as EB1C, right? Okay. Then, uh, <laughs> then um, I, I, it looks like he called several times to USCS, but I'm not, but uh, they were not getting any response. But after one, one and a half year, I changed my employer uh, with this, uh, with this uh, approved uh, I-140. Uh, actually, I did receive uh, first extent, uh, first extension, and also uh, even even I got my my wife's H four EAD also on this approved I one forty. So my question is, uh, my next extension is going to come up next year, somewhere in the next uh, uh, somewhere in mid of next year. I just want to check if this typographical error is going to have any impact on my extensions or in the future extensions, and also do we need to really correct it? Uh, as a side note, uh, my previous employer has shared uh, my I-140 application form, and uh, I think he did well when basically he did not do anything incorrect or, uh, or uh, basically he did choose a correct category. Yeah. Yeah, we have heard of this happening. It does happen. We have a case like that also where um, it printed EB3 instead of EB2 on the approval notice, So it, and it's just a typo. 
So unfortunately, this does happen on I-140 approval notices. Sometimes they print the wrong priority date. Sometimes they leave off the priority date entirely. Um, in our experience, it is difficult to try to get them to correct the error because, um, yeah, we have also tried um, multiple times and sometimes we're successful, sometimes we're not. And there isn't really a good way to try to ask USCIS to do that. Um, but I would say it it should not have any effect on your ability to file H-1B extensions or H-4 EADs or on your ultimate green card process, ultimately. Mm -hmm. um, by the time your priority date does become current and you're ready to file the I-485 application, you would need to include a copy of your I-140 approval. Um, I would just have make sure your attorney at that point knows about the typo and if they can include a copy of, um, if you can do a FOIA request for the I-140 form, you can include that um, along with your I-140 approval notice to show what the ca correct category should be and include a note in there that it was a typo the I-45 filing stage. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. So actually, actually, my 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 new employer's attorney did suggest that. He okay. said, uh, we will do the that FOIA request. So I this week only, I just sent him that uh, my consent for him. So I was just thinking, so uh, it's not going to have any impact on my future extensions. Is that right? Yeah. No, it won't, because at the H-1B extension stage, they don't, um, it doesn't matter actually what the EB-1, 2, or 3 class is. From oh. there, so they just want an I-140 approval notice. It oh. will matter more at the I-485 stage, but as long as you in, kind of include an explanation, it should be fine. We have filed I-485s with those typos before with an explanation, and it's been fine. I think UCIS is aware that there are typos, and so if we just explain it and provide proof of what the correct EB1, okay. uh, EB class is, it's, it's fine. Okay. I, I mean, I mean, um, you know, final question, just because they gave me as EB1C, now it is current. I cannot, I cannot no, uh, take any cannot. advantage of that, right? No. <laughs> um, I know it's tempting, but um, yeah, even okay. if it went through, UCIS could notice. <laughs> yeah. Um, I know. At some point, I revoked it. I got it. I got it. Thank you. Sure. Thank you. Thank you. And have a good weekend. Bye. Uh, next question. Sandeep Jadav. Yeah. Hi. Uh, this is Sandeep. And uh, uh, my case is uh, my I-140 is EB3, April 2013. Mm -hmm. So I filed for 85 and I got me EAD and AP approved. And uh, when my date was current, I also gave the interview in field office. But after field office interview for six months, you know, they did not give me any decision until the time date went back. So date rolled back. So my date is not current. But uh, last week I got approval of 485J. So what it means? So the I-485J approval, usually that precedes an I-485, like kind of the final approval, sort of around the same time the green card is approved, we start getting the I-485J approval notice. But... Um, you said your final act, your priority date is April 2013? Yeah, April 2013, EB3. Oh. And I gave the, gave my interview when my date was current in September yeah. 2021. Okay. Yeah, um, it is possible that depending on, I don't know what could have held up the final approval for six months, um, but... 
We have heard in some cases of a like an interview at the field office or something like that. They, if they, we have heard of cases where they basically assign an immigrant visa number to the case, but don't issue the approval notice yet pending something. And then we have gotten I-485 approvals in that type of situation later when the priority date is no longer current. Um, it is rare and usually it's not supposed to happen that way that if in the month that the I-485 approval notice is issued, the final action date is supposed to be current. But we have heard of some situations where the field office basically assigns the number when it's current. Um, so it sounds like that is probably what happened in your case. My estimate would be that you your I-485 probably is approved and that you will likely get that approval notice soon because we usually only get the J supplement approval right around the time the I-485 will be approved. Okay, so, so it means uh, they will uh, produce the GC as well or? That would be my estimate. You can check the case status website to see if it shows for the I-485 that the case is approved or if it shows card production, that means it's approved. Oh, well, so my online case status is not changing. So it's still showing fingerprints taken, you know, even though everything okay. happened. Yeah. yeah. I am not sure exactly because that is kind of an unusual case where they take that long from the time of an interview. So um, I am not sure exactly what that means. My estimate is that your application is close to being approved because that's usually when we see a J supplement. Okay, just one follow-up question on that one. So I have EAD now and AP as well. So can I work on the two different employers? Yeah, you can still use the EAD until you have the actual green card, keep using the EAD. No, but can I work for two different employers? On an yeah. EAD, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, 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 thanks. Next question. Oh, sorry. Can you, can you hear me? Yes. Hey, thanks for having this call. So, my dependents stayed in US for more than 180 days. So, this goes to Rahul and I have no one. I'm having a little trouble hearing you. I think there's maybe some background noise. Can you hear me now? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, my dependents uh, on H4, you know, uh, they were overstayed, overstayed for more than 180 days. Okay. Uh, this unfortunate happened and then we reached Rahul for his advice and uh, as per his suggestion or advice, like, you no, know, we left the country, I mean, they left the country and uh, they attended uh, uh, Dropbox in India because uh, they're eligible for Dropbox. So hence, uh, they went on Dropbox and uh, they got 221G. And they haven't mentioned any remarks uh, in the copy. Rather, they asked my dependents to come in person interview. Uh, I need some sort of a help like for the interview. Uh, so I sent an email to Rahul. So I haven't got any uh, reply. So just want to touch base or uh, check with you, like, you know, how to reach with him and have some information how to replace interview and all this stuff. Okay, yeah, it would probably require reviewing the 221Gs that your family received and any of the documents that they provided. So um, if he did ask you to email him, if you haven't heard back, I would just 
send an email to follow up with him if you've already been in touch with him about your case. Yeah, I mean, I sent an email and attached my 221G copy whatever policy. So I meant to get that play from him. Uh, I started sort of checking. I thought Rahul would be there in this call and I thought of checking with him in person. Okay, yeah, he won't be on the call today, but I believe he will be on Monday. Um, if you want to try again. Next question, Audrey? Oh, sure, Rebecca. Bharat? Bharat? Hi, hi, Rebecca. I have a quick question. My parents are planning to uh, come uh, in the month of May. Uh, after six months, can they uh, have an extension? Is that okay? Um, For your parents, you said? Yes, uh-huh. On B1 visa. Yeah. Um. Usually, uh, yeah, so when you come in on a B1, B2 visa, you're usually given six month period of stay and it's usually fine to request one extension of that initial six months, so a year total. Um, mm -hmm. You may need to include some explanation of why they are staying longer than the initial six months in the I-539 application, but okay. I would say generally um, a first extension you, is fine. Usually when, when do we have to file an extension? How many months before? Um, definitely file it before their I-94 expires. So after they enter the country, go to the I-94 website online mm -hmm. and use their mm -hmm. passport details to check each of their I-94s and see what the end date is. So it should be six months from their entry date and make sure the I-539 is filed before that last date. Um, mm -hmm. We usually recommend not filing it earlier than three months. So sometime between three months and six months. Oh, okay. And does it have a long processing time or how much? It does. Yeah, it will likely be pending for up to a year or so. So it may still be pending when they decide to leave the U.S., which is kind of the situation we described earlier. Mm -hmm. um, but they definitely should not overstay um, the I-94 or they should not overstay the six-month extension time they request. So even if they have to leave before the application is approved, they should do that rather than overstaying because overstaying definitely will cancel the visa. So uh, after the initial first six months, let's say if, if the application is still pending, but they can still stay here, right? After they file, for example. Yeah. So after the I-94 expiration date, that I-539 is still going to be pending, but that's mm -hmm. okay. They can oh. stay here based on the pending I-539 receipt notice. Um, but they should not stay beyond that next six months. Okay, so. yeah. Thank you, Rebecca. Sure. Uh, next question. Vishwanath. Hello, can you hear me? Yes. So. Oh, okay, now I can't hear you. Sorry, I think you muted yourself just now. Bishwanath, can you please unmute yourself? Can you hear me now? Yes. So I work for a non-profit organization. And uh, if I want to move from a non-profit organization to a profit organization. So what is the process? Are you on an H-1B right now? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so you will need to go through the lottery. Um, 
to move to a CAP subject organization, basically. So that is coming up next month. Um, so if you have an offer from a, from a private company and they're willing to sponsor you in the H-1B lottery, you can ask them to um, get ready to submit you in the lottery next month. So if, if I don't join them after the approval, so um, will I have to again go through the lottery if I want to join another company? Yes, yeah. So um, you should find out the results of the lottery by the end of March. And then from there, the company has, if you are selected, the company has from April to the end of June to file the H-1B application for you. If you decide not to join that company, they don't need to file the application. Um, but you would, so the lottery selection is company specific. So you won't be able to use that for a different cap, cap subject company. You would need that other company to apply for you again next year. Or if you have more than one offer from, uh, from private organizations now, more than one company can sponsor you in the lottery, but only if there's a genuine job offer attached to each one. And uh, would I get fresh six years lottery? No, or... the, um, yeah, so being selected in the lottery doesn't restart your six year lottery clock. Um, so anytime that you've used with the nonprofit organization still counts your, toward your six year limit. Okay, thank you. Sure. Next question. Bhakti. Uh, hi, good morning. Uh, good evening, ma'am. Um, you can hear me, right? Yes. Okay, perfect. So my question is, uh, I'm on STEM OPT, which is valid until June 2022. Um, I got selected for last year's lottery. I got an RFA to which we responded, but I'm still waiting on decision. I'm planning to do premium processing next week. So I'm hoping that I should get a decision by mid of March or late February. Uh, somewhere around that time. But my question is, if the decision is, the, is not in my favor, and if, if let's say, if I'm not getting picked for this year's lottery, um, what are my options? Um, I have heard about something called CPT, day one CPT, which is, uh, you know, all over the internet. And I'm just trying to understand um, the, you know, the legal legality of that process. And, you know, if is master's recommended or, you know, PhD? Um, yeah, so... We are aware of the day one CPT programs. Our office normally recommends against it because it is um, kind of of questionable legality, especially from USCIS's standpoint. I know it is kind of counterintuitive because the DSOs issue the I-20s and they issue the employment authorization. It seems like it should be fine because the DSOs are, you know, kind of acting as agents of the service system, but when it comes to the H-1B um, change of status, we do see problems for people who are trying to change status from CPT to H-1B later. Um, a pretty common RFE is USCIS asking about the um, day one CPT program, because according to the CPT rules, you're not supposed to work in the first year of the degree program unless the employment is considered necessary to the curriculum. And most of the day one CPT programs don't have kind of a legitimate reason for um, authorizing the 
employment authorization in the first year. Um, and USCIS and DHS are aware of a lot of those programs. And so sometimes just based on the name of the university, that's already a red flag and can um, be difficult for your H-1B application. And we have um, had people have trouble at the consulate um, getting H-1B visa stamping, even years later sometimes. Um, at an, you know, they've had H-1B status for like four or five years and gone through two or three different H-1B companies and are getting their visa stamp at the consulate. And all of a sudden the consulate asks about their use of CPT from like 2012. Um, so we know the consulates are aware of it also. And um, for those reasons, we usually discourage day one CPT, um, but there are not that many other options. If you are not, if your current H-1B gets denied and you are not selected this year, if you're basically at the end of um, any OPT time that you have, um, you won't be able to extend your EAD. Um, the main other option would be re-enrolling in um, kind of a uh, genuine program and going back to school, um, even though you won't be able to work in your first year. Um, we also have had some, some clients that we work with now that remote work is more of a possibility. Um, we've had some clients who, when they were not selected in the lottery, they're based on their arrangement with their company, has allowed them to work remotely from home. And so they relocate to their home country, just continue working for the same US employer there from there, and then try again in the lottery the next year. Um, so we know that's also not an ideal option, but um, those are kind of the what we see most often. Um, just one follow-up question. So uh, does it apply this, the rules apply same even if we go for a higher degree, like let's say if I want to pursue for a PhD from one of those universities, you know, um, like, you know, after, let's say if I don't work from tw uh, 2022 to 2023, but then from 2023, if I want to, uh, you know, work um, on a PhD higher level, is that, does that sound uh, legal? I mean, or? That's fine. So um, if you are planning to do that, where you won't be working from 2022 through 2023, basically the first year of the degree program, then I would definitely go to a school that does not offer day one CPT. If you're not going to use day one CPT anyway, don't even um, you know get associated with those schools because, like I said, um, the government is aware of kind of the names of those schools. So just um, you know, if you enroll in kind of a, a a school that you know doesn't have day one CPT and you enroll in a higher level degree than the one you just completed, like a PhD. And um, if you don't work in the first year and then you, you're eligible for CPT or maybe OPT in your second year, um, which is pretty common for PhD students because you're doing research or other type of work um, as part of your curriculum, um, that is fine. That's perfectly legal. And then you would be eligible if you studied a STEM field, you'd be eligible for up to three more years of OPT, OPT. after graduation because it's a higher degree field. Um, but we know that's also, you know, that is a big commitment also in rolling in. But that is um, a perfectly legal option. There's nothing wrong with that. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much. Um, I'll take one more question. Sudeep? Sorry, Sandeep? Uh, uh, thanks, Rebecca. 
Uh, I have a question. Uh, my priority date is May 2012. Um, downgraded in EB2 to EB3 back in October 2020. Uh, before EB3 retrogressed, my daughter's age got locked. So age is frozen. She's 17 now. Now, another, another, another fact is the application is with Texas Service Center. Now, if we were to do EB2 interfiling, my uh, what I've heard is that the clock gets reset. Now, in this situation, uh, what happens to the age freeze? Means, let's say we do the interfiling, and if I change the job or the company doesn't want me in the next 180 days, what happens to the age freeze of the child? Um, if you were to interfile now to EB2, that is correct. Okay, so your priority date is also still current in EB2 right now, according to the final action dates chart. So I know it is kind of um, a gray area where different people have um, opinions on whether how CISPA is affected by the interfile, if, you know, interfiling could unfreeze the age and then you would need it to be current again in order to refreeze the child's age. Um, I, I think from our office, we're of the opinion that once the child's age is frozen, according to that same I-485 filing, it remains frozen, even if you interfile. Um, so I don't think it should have an effect on your daughter's age, but even if we're interpreting it the other way, where it requires being, you know, in the current according to the EB2 category, right now it is. Um, EB2 final action dates right now are, is January 2013. So even if you were to move to EB2, it would also freeze your daughter's age as of this month, at least. Yeah, sorry. Concern was like, uh, I know that the underlying, uh, the, for CSP, the conditions are uh, age less than 21, unmarried, 45 filed, and uh, I-140 approved. Now, it, does interfiling mean is it equivalent to 485 filing? So as soon as we initiate the interfiling, does it count as 485 filing? Um, yeah, that's kind of the question, whether that is considered a new I-485 filing that would need to qualify for CISPA as a separate kind of filing. But like I said, in our opinion, it shouldn't be considered a new I-485 filing shouldn't be considered a 485 filing. I'm so sorry, just, I didn't really get it. Uh, so the CSP uh, uh, age freeze is a, is a question mark uh, in this situation? I would say in your case, it's not. I think if you were to interfile the EB2, I think your daughter's age is still frozen. In, in respect to the fact that she may have used her EAD, she has not used yet, but if she uses her EB3 EAD, that wouldn't really make a difference, is that? No, that's fine. And sorry, the other part of that question was, Rebecca, within 180 days is fine, but if, one, if within 180 days a job change happens for whatever reasons, and we were to start the process again from the beginning, would that still? So the UCIS guidance on that is that if you are going to use AC21, so this is different from CISPA, but if you're going to use AC21 to change to a different employer, as of now, the USCIS guidance says that you have to wait 180 days from the interfile request. We also are not sure that that is 
accurate either. I would say that's also arguable because that seems that's on the USCIS's guidance website now, but it's not in the regulation. So um, people are also kind of a different. But if you want it to be safe, then I would you know wait 180 days from the interfile request to change to a different employer. Okay, thanks. Thanks a lot. Sure. Um, okay, so we'll have to end the call here for today. Um, I believe Rahul will be back in the call on Monday. And um, I know there were a lot of questions we weren't able to get to, um, especially in the chat. I'm sorry, I am not able to kind of read the chat at the same time that I'm answering questions. So um, if uh, you weren't able to get your question asked today, um, you can try again on Monday or um, if you want to schedule a consultation with any of the attorneys in our office, that information is on our website also. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Ready and Newman Daily Podcast. We sincerely hope that you've taken something valuable out of it. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. For more information or if you want to make an appointment, check out our websites rnlawgroup.com and immigrationgirl.com. Have an awesome day.